This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. It's now time for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. From amazing stories to colorful personalities, join us as we go in-depth with the men and women that make up the Oakland Athletics Organization. It all starts right now. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. I'm Chris Townsend. Of course, A's Cast powered by TuneIn. We hope you're enjoying everything that we're doing here with A's Cast. And we got some big names for you here. We're going to have Hall of Famer Burt Blylevin. One of the greatest curveballs of all time will be joining us. Rick Dempsey, the legendary Baltimore Oriole, the world champion, and does TV for the Orioles these days, as Burt does it for the Minnesota Twins. He is going to join us. Travis Blackley. Remember how big Travis was for the Oakland Athletics down the stretch in 2012, especially uh, what he did in, in game 161. He was fantastic. And then the greatest competitive eater of all time from San Jose State, my alma mater. Absolutely love the guy. Joey Chestnut joined us before July 4th in the nation's hot dog 4th of July eating contest where he would win his 12th mustard belt. So that's what we got going for you here on A's Unfiltered. And we'll start with a man who had just an unbelievable career, Burt Blylevin, in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He won 287 games, struck out 3,701. He was a two-time World Series champion, and he also led the American League in strikeouts in 1985, and he threw a a no-hitter on September 22, 1977. He's also in the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame, and he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of fame back in 2011. Here's the right-hander, Burt Blylevin. And we now welcome one of the great pitchers of all time, the Hall of Famer, Burt Blylevin, joins us here. Burt, thank you so much for taking the time to join A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Uh, no problem. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing great. It's great to have you on our program again. We've had you for years on the A's pregame show, and I was I was telling everybody out there that when you think of Burt Blylevin, you think of one of the truly the great curveballs in the history of the game, and I would think if you were pitching today, what would it be like if we were talking about your spin rate and your spin efficiency? <laughs> you know what? I've been broadcasting a long time. I really don't get into that. Uh, you know, uh, the hitter pretty much lets you if it's good spin rate or not. If he swings and misses, it's probably a good spin rate. If you hang it, we probably hit a long way, and then that probably wasn't very good spin rate. So I don't play into that uh, spin rate stuff. And really, the, all of the, a lot of the analytics that are in the game today. Yeah, I've talked about this with Ray Fossey, and you know Ray. He, he, he says all the time, that the hitter will tell you if you have good stuff or not. Amen. You know, sometimes in the first inning, they let you know you don't have very good stuff. 
<laughs> well, I think you got to be excited about this series the way we are. You know, I haven't seen the Twins yet, and both these ball clubs hit a whole like a whole whole lot of home runs. This is going to be a fun three days at the Coliseum. It should good. It should be. Uh, you know, the Minnesota Twins are on a good roll this year. They they uh, have a nice, comfortable lead in the American League Western Division. They added a lot of veterans like Nelson Cruz and C.J. Crone. Uh, Jonathan Scope, uh, Marwin Gonzalez, along with, you know, Buxton's and the Snows and Polanco. Uh, it's a very, very solid ball club, and the pitching's been very consistent throughout the summer. Yeah, that's one thing you always look at constructing a team is you're going to have to have veteran guys that have been there and done that. You're going to have to have guys that are in their prime, and it's always good to have the youth. It just seems like the, the Twins, as you just said, are built the right way to be successful in 2019. Oh, what you need is veterans to mentor a lot of the young kids, like uh, Nelson Cruz. You know, he can mentor uh, Miguel Sano. Sano's got so much potential, but, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs throughout a career, and Nelson Cruz has gone through that. So he can help these young kids, the Buxtons and guys like that, realize that there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days, and as long as you keep your nose to the grindstone and you work your tail end off, hopefully things will turn around if you're going bad. And I'm thinking about your guys' lead in the Central. It's an eight-game lead over the Cleveland Indians. And this year, the trading deadline is going to be different than we've ever seen before because there's no waiver wire process after. So basically, there's no safety net there for you to pick up players if you don't get anybody by July 31st. So what do you think the Twins need to improve themselves and really give them a better chance in the postseason? I think uh, Derek Balby and Thad Levine, the uh, two general managers uh, for the Twins, I, I believe that's they're going to try to strengthen the bullpen. You know, in today's game, pitchers, starters, are go, if they go five or six innings and shut the opponent down to one or two runs, quick, they're quickly out of there. And then you need, uh, you know, you need a seventh and eighth, ninth inning guy. The Twins really don't have a legitimate closer even though, you know, Taylor Rogers and Blake Parker right now are the two that have the most saves, but there's six guys, uh, you know, with the Twins that have saves. So Rocco Baldelli's doing a great job of maneuvering the bullpen along with Wes Johnson, a new pitching coach. But I think it's just a matter of if they could get maybe that ninth inning guy, it's going to set up everybody else. They know what their role is. Yeah, when they announced Rocco as the manager at 37 years old, the youngest manager in Major League Baseball, we know covering him as a player, he was a really bright guy. Obviously, he's, obviously he's pulling a lot of good strings with 53 victories, but uh, what has it been like to watch him as a young manager? Well, he knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, he's got good people around him. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's the thing. He came into spring training. I'm with the pitchers and catchers the first two weeks in spring training, and I saw how he runs camp. You know, these, we're, we're talking about grown men here. They don't have to be told what to do. They know what they have to do. You don't have to spend four or five, six hours on a baseball field in spring training. You come in, you get your work done. As long as you get it done, you're out of there in two or three hours until the game starts. So, he, you know, he didn't play too long ago, so he knows the importance of what it takes to get ready for the season and that positive attitude and, I think with the four guys that I named, the veterans, they brought that positive attitude with them. They've been to postseason, so 
you know, Rocco wants to get there with these guys. Yeah, so much about baseball these days is getting the buy-in. I hear that all the time when we're talking about the teams that are really good and even the teams that are rebuilding. Talk about that, what you see in modern-day baseball, where there's a lot of different things you're feeding these players, and they need to buy in to what you're trying to preach. Well, I think you see it here in Oakland. You know, Bob Nelson, the American League manager here last year, uh, you know, this is a, an area that, uh, you know, through Billy Bean and, and his, uh, you know, entourage as far as the analytic people, they've done a great job year in and year out putting, uh, you know, the product on the field, whether it's a veteran or, or, you know, somebody just coming up. I mean, look at Chapman. Chapman just uh, got into the All-Star game. He's a guy that uh, really, uh, you know, kind of shined through the minor league system. That's good scouting. Hopefully baseball doesn't get rid of scouts. That, that's the thing to me, because all these analytic people come in and they, they don't actually go out and watch kids play. They look at video, and sometimes you have to know what's in that kid's heart or, you know, what's, what's in his gut, and sometimes you can't see that through a video. No, I totally agree, and it's what the Houston Astros are doing, and a lot of people go, this could bite them in the you-know-what long term. It's so important that I get to – I can see what great stuff a young Burt Blylevin has, but I need to know, is he a good guy? Does this guy have character? Do I want to have him in my clubhouse long term? And you're right, Burt, that's nothing, that's nothing you're going to see on a video. No, you, you want the characters in the game. You know, I had a lot of fun when I didn't play, when I didn't pitch, but you know, between the lines, you know, you want to be the best competitor out there. You want to kick the other team's butt. So that's the attitude you have to have. You have to have the heart, the desire, and the will to want to go out and do it day in and day out. And Polanco getting the nod for the All-Star game, I'm sure everybody was pretty jacked up for him for that. Well, they were, you know, and then also Jake Odorizzi, a 10-game winner this year that only won seven last year. He's going to represent uh, as far as the pitching side, but there are definitely some guys that should have been on that are not. A guy like C.J. Crone, you know, had a good year. Nelson Cruz could have been on there. Uh, the biggest one, I think, is Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario, I mean, he led this ball club from day one. He's on the injured reserve right now. But I'll tell you what, he, he's, he put this club together on his back for a while. And he's a guy, to me, that's kind of being overlooked for the Hall of, or, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the All-Star game. Let's end on this. And I remember this back in the day in 1979 of course the we are family pirates you helped the pirates win the world series but in that year as a pitcher you had 20 no decisions that's the most that we've ever seen in baseball what's a season like that when you're all about wins and losses and you get so many no decisions well i mean that's just the game the way it was you know i pitched a lot of close ball games so i maybe i left and you know in the national league i wasn't a very good hitter so sometimes come the sixth or seventh inning uh, with the game on the line, of course, Chuck Tanner was going to hit for me. So well, there were a lot of games that were close that either, uh, you know, went one way or the other, somewhere down later in a ball game, they tied it up, uh, whether it was good in my favor or against me. Uh, you know, that's where the no decision comes. But the main thing in 79 is we won. I think I was 12 and five that year with uh, 20 no decisions, but we won the World Series. That's the bottom line. Bert, thank you so much for the time. Truly an honor having you on the program, and we'll see you tomorrow at the Coliseum. Okay, looking forward to it. Thank you. Bert's a good guy. I always like talking to Bert when the twins come to town. How about another legend? Rick Dempsey. Rick Dempsey had an unbelievable career. He was a two-time World Series champion with the Orioles. 
He's a World Series MVP in 1983, and he also is in the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame. Just an outstanding career. Played from 1969 all the yeah 1969 all the way to 1992. What a career for Rick Dempsey, and he's a riot. Here is the old Orioles catcher. Well, he's one of the great catchers. Of all time. What a career he had with the Baltimore Orioles and doing TV for the Orioles. A two-time World Series champion, a World Series MVP. He's in the Orioles Hall of Fame. The great Rick Dempsey joins us here on A's Cast Live. How are you, Rick? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. And, you know, we just uh, had the Orioles out here, and we had Jim Palmer on, and we were talking about, you know, the greatness of the Orioles back in the day. And just thinking about... Just the struggles that the Orioles are having, as we always knew of the Oriole way and the great players, just how tough is it being around a ball club that's 22 and 58? Well, you ought to know. You guys have ruined baseball. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) With all the analytics and everything that's going on, I don't know that I know the game that much anymore. (laughs) But, no, yes, you're right. It's it's been such a struggle this year because – we are head and shoulders into this um, rebuild with our ball club, and it has been a tremendous struggle. I, I, you know I've been in this game for well over 50 years, and I've never seen a team struggle as hard as this ball club has right here. But, you know, I, I like the, the manager. I like our coaching staff. I know these guys know what they're doing. It's just very, very tough to turn it around uh, at this point. I know the day is going to come when we start to look a little bit like the Oakland A's who started this this kind of uh, approach, let's put it that way, this kind of approach. It's just going to take a while to do it. We've seen it through your ball club and a few other teams at the same time. And so uh, you're making some of these other ball clubs pretty hungry at finding out how, how we're going to make this all work. You know, it has been a real mess. Yeah, I think of the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're they're like Moneyball on steroids with all the different things that they're doing. And I agree with you. There are times you look at the changes in baseball and you really wonder. I, I get it from a standpoint of winning and losing games, but also how much fun is this brand of baseball for the average baseball fan? Well, you know, you've got the diehard fans that, that still think about the bunts, the hit and runs, uh, you know, the – trying to play the one-run game a little bit more than it's been so far. Um, And it's just, uh, I don't know that they've bought into it yet, especially here in Baltimore where it's always been about pitching and defense and mixing in guys like Brooks Robinson, Boog Powell, Frank Robinson, guys like that 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 carried the ball club. But at the same time, you look back at our pitching staffs and it's been – um, you, you know, back, I don't know, it just seemed like the pitchers were head and shoulders above anything I've seen in baseball in a long time. With those catchers, ar- go ahead, uh, uh, Cody, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you know, with, with those arms that, that, you, that you caught, I mean, you didn't need analytics with those arms. We had analytics. That's what I'm trying to tell everybody. We had analytics. The only thing that is different now is that the computer tells them what to do. Back in those days, Earl Weaver and George Bamberger told us what to do. 
this is how we're going to pitch this guy, the number four guy, the number five guy. We're not going to let this guy beat us in your order. So we'll pitch around him in tough situations and go to the next guy. There was more philosophy that was spoken and talked about before ball games than there is now. It's all computerized. And we're really, you know, let me just throw this in here ahead of what I'm saying is that we're really not full-fledged into it yet. We don't have the capacity right now and the people that a couple of the teams like yourself and uh, Houston Astros have had that really kind of uh, embellished uh, what's going on in those in your organizations analytically. We're just getting started uh, understanding the analytics and how to make it work, drafting players and getting the kind of talent that you need to, to make a good challenge in your own division. I've always liked Chris Davis. Whenever we've had him on, he, he, he seems like a, a really good guy. How tough has it been to watch him go from one of the premier power hitters to a guy that really struggles just to make contact? You, well, you, you make a good point because uh, I love Chris. He's been my favorite player since he came here. I've always loved those power guys that really carry the ball club on their back. But of all, I, I thought and I prided myself in being at one of the betters at being able to read hitters and read pitchers especially the guys I were handle, I was handling and situational pitching. But Chris Davis has been a mystery to me for the last two years. I cannot understand what is going on with him. Now, without going and asking, you know, the trainers and the general managers and the managers of, of our organization what is happening with Chris Davis, I'm trying to figure it out on my own. And I, it's a mystery to me. I'm sorry to say I can't figure him out. Some days it looks like he's going to start swinging the bat, and other days I don't know what's going on in his mind where he can take three straight fastballs, whether it be fastball. I don't know why he's getting fooled by the fastball. You know, and uh, it that's a mystery to me. He's been a rare, very rare player. I don't think in over 50 years that I've been involved with a game I've ever seen anything like this happen to anybody. The great Rick Dempsey, two-time World Series champion, World Series MVP, and Baltimore Orioles Hall of Famer joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. And we start talking about the home runs that are being hit in baseball and the amount of home runs that the pitching staff for the Orioles is giving up. You guys are on pace to shatter the record from the 2016 Cincinnati Reds. How do you explain that? Pitch selection. I really don't think our catchers have understood what it what it's all about. Staying away from the big innings, staying out of the power zones. It, it's uh, you know I I sit there and I chart every single pitch of every batter in in the game every night that I work, and I just don't understand why. Two strikes and no balls. We put the glove in the same spot 95 or 98% of the time. Um, it's too easy to, to, to calculate what you're going to get in those situations. Our pitchers are trying to learn how to pitch in the strike zone. They're behind in the count way too much. But before you can go anywhere else, they have to learn how to pitch out of the strike zone too. If you watch the Houston Astros the last couple of years, when they get ahead of a hitter, they don't give them anything really good to hit. They're not afraid to throw the breaking ball in the dirt, 
outside the strike zone to see if the hitter will swing at it. Sometimes they'll do it two times in a row to see if you're going to get that entice that guy to take a swing at a bad pitch. That's what you call really good pitching. We're not there yet. We're having the tough enough time throwing the ball. We're throwing strike one. We're walking way too many batters, and you know, you guys all know what that means. My favorite saying, or most of that, nothing good happens after a walk. And it's amazing, percentage-wise, how many base hits and home runs are given up after a guy just walks the hitter in front of him. It's incredible, those percentages. But, you know, we learned... I learned by catching pitchers in the bullpen every second of the time I was at the ballpark where I wasn't in batting practice. I was in the bullpen warming up starters, relievers, anybody who would talk to me and tell me about what they wanted, what they looked for in a catcher, what kind of target they wanted, where they wanted it in certain situations. Let's talk game situation do you want the, you know, this guy to pull the ball? Where do we want him to hit the ball? And that is a part of catching that they don't teach anymore. They just put a guy on that knows how to put the equipment on by himself, and they make him a catcher. And it, it happened back in the Javi Lopez era when he came to the Orioles. Um, not much was there. He's a very good offensive catcher. But as far as calling a ball game and helping a pitching staff, you could tell why the Atlanta Braves kind of let him go. Great kid, no doubt about that. But they've got to know the game a lot better than they do. And one of my pet peeves about it is that I think catchers are starting to recede. They're going back farther and farther to get away from the backswing of the hitter when actually they ought to be going up closer and closer to the strike zone and let the swing be behind them. When a catcher catches too far back, you don't have a chance of getting the pitches on the corners called strikes because by the time it gets to their glove, it's out of the strike zone. And umpires don't see it as well as they should. If you get up there close, I used to be able to touch. When I pitched inside, I touched the left-handed batter on the knee with my right hand. And if I was inside on a right-hander, I could touch their knee with my glove. That told me I was where I should be positioned. So when I catch a pitch, maybe an inch or two off the corner, I could always make it look like it was a pretty good pitch and get them called strikes. Nowadays, they don't get those pitches called strikes. So I'm just, I keep telling general managers and people in the league office, you want to speed the game up? Move the catchers up closer. The starting pitchers will get to 100 pitches by the seventh inning, which will eliminate two pitchers from both teams coming in the game that takes about 40 minutes for the managers to come out and change their pitchers, bring a guy in, warm him up, and then get off the mound. But nobody wants to listen to us old guys that kind of have a better idea about how to approach the entire situation. I'm sorry for talking so long. Oh, are you kidding me? We're loving this. And before we let you go, give us your thoughts on Adley Rushman, the, the number one pick out of Oregon State. Wow, I'm really excited about him. I was excited about Matt Wieters when he first came to our country. He wasn't the number one pick in the country, but he was a switch hitter. He had some power, you know. It didn't work out for him defensively. Uh, 
I don't know how much he was into the game when it came to putting the equipment on, but he was a decent offensive guy, and, you know, all of the catchers at that time were not doing – Rushman seems like he has the whole program together. Number one in the country, good power, left-handed, right-handed, good solid contact hitter. He goes the other way. He's not afraid to use the whole field. He doesn't have the big ego where he has to get in batting practice and hit 15, 20 home runs. That's going to help. But he also talks a little bit, and I talked to his father uh, when we introduced him at the ballpark the other night. I, I wanted to talk to the dad because he said the dad was his coach, and he was a catcher ahead of time. I wanted to talk to him about his philosophy about catching. And, uh, and he said the right things to me about, you know, game situation is very important. Working with all the pitchers is very important. The catchers today will not go to the bullpen and warm up starting pitchers in between starts and really find out where their release point is and how the breaking ball is breaking and trying to offer as much help as you can so that during the course of a game, they can, they can get a guy back on track a lot sooner. But catchers today don't do that. They wouldn't be caught dead in the bullpen if it wasn't game time or warming up. They're never there. So, I mean, how do you learn? Those pitchers are like having 13 wives. you got to know every little bitty thing about them, and you don't want nobody else messing with them because you want to know what every pitch does in certain situations. and You've got to constantly be reinforcing the positive with those guys, even when they're throwing their in-between starts. So, uh, we're losing a lot of the translation in the fact that they're not spending enough time together. Rick, you're absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for the time, and good luck the rest of the season. All right, you guys. All right. You better get that ball club of yours going. you got too many really good young players on your team. They all got all the positive stats, man. They, I'm, I'm expecting a big second half out of the Oakland A's. I predicted that. Thank God. We need that. All right. <laughs> Take care, Rick. Thank you very much, fellas. Rick Dempsey's a funny guy. I, I, had, I had a lot of fun interviewing him. Our next guest here on A's Unfiltered, back in 2012, he came to the A's, went 6-4 and four down the stretch with a 3.86 ERA, won some huge games for the A's down the stretch, and he was a part of what, what, what I think – we look at it as one of the most magical teams the Oakland A's have ever had, even though they didn't win the World Series, even though they didn't win a playoff series, they lost to Detroit in five. We still look upon this team so fondly. It is amazing what they did. They're the only team in baseball history to have never led the division all year long during the season and still won the division. What do I mean? Well, it's pretty simple. They didn't win the division or lead in the division until the final out of the last game. And once that final out is recorded, the season's over. So they weren't the champs, and they didn't lead until the actual season was over. It's crazy. It's never happened before. So we're going to talk about Liam Hendricks. We're going to talk about his time with the A's. Here is Travis Blackley. How are you doing? Welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Yeah, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Where it's good to talk to you again. So, 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 what are you doing these days? Well, you know, still holding on to to the game a little bit, trying to uh, stay active so I can uh, 
you know, help my uh, country's uh, team try and make the Olympics this uh, November. So I'm just down in Mexico right now and uh, trying to get a, uh, just getting back into it recently and um, hopefully be joining this team uh, that I'm down here playing with at the moment. So you're going to be pitching there in the second half of your guys' season down there? That's the plan, yeah. I've uh, only got here about a week ago, but, uh, yeah, still kind of getting sim games, doing my own little mini spring training uh, before I uh, take the field with them. God, how cool would that be to play in the Olympics for Australia? That that just would it just be like the ultimate dream, right? And that would be the cherry on top. Yeah, I, uh, I was actually on the Olympic team in 2004, but I got called up for the major leagues uh Shortly before we left for Greece, and my team ended up winning the silver medal that year. So, kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of missed out on the silver Olympic silver medal, but you know, got another chance hopefully. Yeah, everybody talks about like it's one thing when you get to the highest levels because we've seen in the Olympics whether it's basketball or it's hockey, you know, or baseball. You get to the highest level, that's like the greatest thing. But it's like a whole different deal when you're representing your country in the Olympics, what do you think that will be like for you to put on that jersey and, and do the opening games and represent your country? Uh, it'd, be, it'd be fantastic. I've, I've represented Australia on a, on a bunch of occasions, but uh, never quite at an Olympic level. You know, Olympics is, you know, very few. It's been taken out of the Olympics the last few years, so baseball coming back in now because it's in Tokyo um, is... Maybe my it is going to be my last shot to play um, in the Olympics, and uh, yeah, I just hope we can make it. So uh, anyway, I will get to pull on the jersey in November in the Premier 12, which is uh, our first chance at qualifying for the Olympics. So hopefully it all goes well there. Well, one guy who is throwing the ball great for the athletics right now, and I know you follow him, a fellow countryman, is Liam Hendricks. Liam has just been lights mm-hmm. out. Talk about what you what you've seen with the right hander and how good he has been lately. Oh, I mean, for years now, he's been uh, obviously one of the top bullpen guys you could probably get your hands on. Ever since he was uh, with the Blue Jays, I believe, he's been really lights out. Um, not to say he wasn't great with the Twins, but, you know, really kind of found his role, um, you know, in the bullpen rather than starting. And uh, got, a, got a bit more velocity uh, in that arm from, from when he was with the Twins. And, uh, yeah, it's obviously working out really well for him and the Jays this year. Yeah, the thing that I think about guys that, that just don't give up, and you think about what Liam was last year when on, on June 25th he was DFA'd, went down to AAA, rediscovered his fastball, got the velocity up to about 97. Next thing you know, he's the opener in the playoff game against the Yankees. He's now closing. What is it about that thing in you guys, especially pitchers, there's that never give up, you always feel like you can still get people out? Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, I, I didn't find my fastball again. Not that I ever really had an overpowering one, but, you know, the belief is still there. You know, you can compete at, at any level and get hitters out. I mean, you know, I, I, do chess players ever uh, ever get worse at chess as they get older? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's ultimately what it is, is a game, you know, uh, with a hitter and, if you can locate your pitches and, and make the right kind of pitch at the right time, you know, anything's possible. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think we ever lose that competitive edge when it comes to it. But, 
you know, obviously in today's game, a nice, uh, a nice hard fastball with a high spin rate is obviously required. So, you know, that kind of counts me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we saw you on Twitter backing up Matt Chapman for the All Star game, and just looking at what he has done and the fact that he is not the starter. You weren't happy that he's not the starter. You know, I'm. Obviously, Alex Bregman is a great player, and he obviously deserves the starting spot as well. I mean, it's so hard to uh, to choose between the two, but I, I just think, you know, that I love personally watching Chappie play. I think he's phenomenal. Um, I actually never have actually met him because he's with the organization after I left. But, yeah, being an A's fan, being with my, my, fan, my wife and her family in the Bay Area is totally an A's family, so, uh, you know, and obviously I feel like a part of the A's family too, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched, the, I've kept in touch with the games and, and uh, watched how they've been going, and I, I haven't seen a better third baseman ever. I don't think that guy's in total um, with the glove, and obviously proved that last year by winning the platinum glove, so, um, and then obviously the bat, I mean, when you play in Oakland, everyone knows, you know, it's a bit harder to hit there. Obviously, Houston's a bit easier, and, uh, you know, with the lineup that they pack in Houston and the field dimensions and all that. But what a lot of fans, I don't think, uh, realize about Oakland is all the foul territory. You know, a lot of balls you hit foul three, four rows back in, in Houston, they're caught in Oakland. So, you know, I think that definitely skews the, the numbers a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I honestly felt like he didn't get the recognition he probably deserved in that in that spot. And I thought the Platinum Glove last year would have shed some light on who he is to everyone else in America. So it's been unfortunate for him, but I'm sure he'll be a starting uh, third baser in future All-Star games. I always talk about 2012 was just a magical year for this organization, and and people remember it so fondly. You won six games in 2012. What do you really remember about that year? Oh, I mean, obviously, game number 61. I think everyone, everyone on the day or the date, um, that exact day every year. I feel like my Twitter gets overloaded with uh, for me anyway. and many A's fans are sitting there saying that they remember that game. And, you know, I want to see the biggest thing in my career and being trusted with the ball and such a big game. Is, uh, you know, I felt like it kind of uh, arrived, if you know what I mean. But, uh, no, I mean, that was obviously my biggest thing. And, I mean, obviously, it was just the team camaraderie. I never felt that with another team at that level. You know, the amount of walk-offs we had, the way that, you know, non-big big name players were, you know, stepping up in the roles and kicking each other up. And, you know, some of those players became big name players because of that. And I just felt like, you know, a family in that progress. And uh, it was obviously the best time in my career. So, miss it. <laughs> yeah, no, that day you went six innings. You only gave up one run. You got your sixth win. Grant Balfour came in with the save, number 24. That was do little to cook to Balfour, and then, of course, what happened on Game 162 was so magical. Hey, thank you for stopping by. Good luck in the second half, and good luck with trying to make the Olympic team, and we'll check in with you soon. Yeah, man, thank you very much. Appreciate it. You know, it will really make me want to watch Olympic baseball because I love this guy, and if he's going to play for Australia, I'll definitely be tuning in for some of those games. Well, our last guest here. 
Joey Chestnut is the greatest competitive eater in the history of, yes, this sport. It is a sport. And I've had beers with him before. He's a really nice guy. And we got a chance to catch up with him before July 4th. We wanted to talk to him before the contest. Of course, he would win smoking down 71 hot dogs and winning the nation's hot dog eating contest on July 4th to win his 12th mustard belt. The greatest competitive eater of all time from San Jose State, my alma mater, Joey Chestnut. Joey, it's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics, also a San Jose State grad. And we met one time at a place very close. I know we live close to each other, The Office. A lot of people around the Bay Area might not know, but we met at The Office one time. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely did. Uh, I, I go to that place every now and then. Joey, I, I got to tell you, what you have done in your career, competitive eating, when did you know, like, you know what? I can beat all these guys and gals. It, it was a, uh, it was weird. I was, I was, it was before I even got started. It was like two years before I got started. Me and my little brother were watching, watching highlights, and we saw that Kobayashi had eaten fifty hot dogs. And he was like, "I think you could eat it, eat that many hot dogs." I was like, "Yeah, I probably could, but I don't really want to." And then the year, the couple of years went by, and then it was like, "Oh my God, it's on ESPN now!" And and then uh. And he's like, Joey, I'm going to sign you up to a contest. And finally, he signed me up to one. And I, I did, I tied for third. And, and it just snowballed in. And I was like, all right, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat that guy. And I, uh, it was the goal. And it was, it was, so I was 21 when I first started. And then I was 23 when I won the first uh, hot dog contest. And, uh, and it just kept going. Yeah. So you've won 11 now. And, and I, and I think about, you know, w- when you get to a point where you keep setting records, a lot of people don't understand, but there's so much training that goes involved. There's so much discipline. Talk about what you do to get ready for an event like this. Oh, this one, it, it's, it's weird because it's changed over the years because uh, there's no books written about competitive eating. I had to figure out my own body. It was a lot of trial and error. And error. These days, I'm, I get into a cycle where I do a practice contest and I recover. And as soon as I can start eating, even if I'm not hungry, I'm going to start just eating lettuce and cucumber and super high fiber foods and i try to get back down to my initial weight and then i then i go back into the fasting mode and then i then i go uh during that i'm just drinking water and water and lemon juice and it's really pretty much a cleanse to get empty again and then i then i do another practice and so it's a repeated cycle and i can do it probably once every six maybe five days if i'm if i'm recovering fast but right now it's every six or seven days i can do a practice and when I was younger, I could do a practice every every fifth or fourth day. But uh, now I'm older; it's harder to get get back down to my target weight. But uh, and I'm I'm able to still pay attention to my body and still hopefully make some gains this year. Yeah, that's what sucks, Joey. As we get older, the body changes, right? It's just not like when we were younger. It's uh, yeah, it changes, but we, you know we're, we're smarter. We know our body more than ever before, and we know uh, how hard we can push ourselves. Well, this is not the only – hot dogs are not the only thing you do. You hold records in, in other food groups, but is hot dogs the thing you're best at eating? I, you know, I like to think that if uh, if there was – if like the, I lost a donut eating – the hostess donut eating contest earlier in June, and uh, I like to think that, you know, if it, was, if it was as important as the 4th of July contest, I wouldn't lose it. But uh, I'm, I'm really good at hot dogs, and, and it's also the most important contest. It's the one that if you're a competitive eater, you have to – you have to perform it, and I, uh, I'm I'm really lucky that I like the taste of the Nathan's hot dogs, and they go down easy, and I can just 
turn it on, and, and it, I'm super motivated to just go to an insane limit. This has become such a big deal, and on fourth, it's like it's like you've become the king of Fourth of July. What's it like the whole celebrity and just how your life has changed? Oh, it's it's so uh, unexpected because I it wasn't like I've said this before. It's like a baseball player knows they're going to be a professional baseball player when they're like eight years old, and that's their goal growing up. I, I was I was in college to get my engineering degree, and I. Uh, and it I wasn't my goal to become the best eater in the world, and I didn't know that how much I would love it. And it, it, it's weird because people are like, oh, does it, does it get you get tired doing interviews and taking pictures of people? Like, heck no! I've, I've had a normal job. I had to commute to work and and answer emails about people, other people's money, and stuff like that. It's uh, so I, I I'm right now I'm living the dream, and it, it's uh, it was so unexpected. It's a weird wave, and I, I never would have imagined it take me here. But uh, I'm I'm riding this thing out till the wheels come off. <laughs> And it's intense. I mean, I've never been there, but we watch you on television every year because obviously, you know, you're one of our guys. You're a San Jose State guy. You're an A's fan, so we're always watching it. Just talk about how intense the the competition is, and all the people that really come from all over to watch this on Fourth of July. Oh, it's it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, not crazy, but it's it's so much. It's a great atmosphere. It's electricity in New York City, and. I think 35,000 New Yorkers come out for it, and there's police on the rooftops watching, and it's it's uh, it, it, there's electricity, and it's uh, usually it's, it's stifling heat. I remember the first time I came there I, or came out here it was I would I'd never experienced East Coast humidity like this, and it was, it was just ridiculous. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a special kind of heat, and it's it's electricity, and oh my god, and the people they're just yelling at me, it's either USA or Joey, or and and I, I um. I'm not going to stop, no matter what my body's telling me. Yeah, because you're going against people from all over the world. You're like an American hero now on the Fourth of July. It's awesome. It's yeah, it's it's, it's unbelievable, but it's fun, and it, there's a lot of happy people. This year we have eaters out of an eater out of Japan, and another one out of England, and uh, so it's uh, it's international this year, and it's all around the country. These guys and girls are just they're just just pushing themselves to the crazy limit. Now, of course, this really beats up your body. How many days after do you start feeling right again? Oh, my God. It takes a good two and a half, three days to feel really close to right. And even then, it's uh, it's debatable whether I'm right. Uh, maybe I was never right to begin with. But uh, it's uh, it's like you get used to it. It's like a marathon runner goes into a race knowing that they're going to feel like garbage for a couple of days. And I, I go in knowing I'm going to eat for those 10 minutes, and it's not eating for fun or pleasure. I'm eating and I'm eating to win and I'm going to pay a price for it for the next couple of days. And, and, and the older I get, it's, I go to my doctor more and she, 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 she does my blood work and she's happy with the way everything's working out so far. But, uh, it, who knows? It's, uh, it's something I really have to pay pay attention to. Well, your celebrity led you to a show that I watch with my children. We love the amazing race. It's something I binge watch with my kids and we were rooting for you. What is that experience like where you're playing this game for a million dollars and you're playing this game and you're traveling around the world? How was that experience? It was, uh, it was, it was such a, I'm so happy I was able to do it. And it was, it was like being a kid again. You get these clues and you find out you're going to a place that you know very little about. And it's, it's just like a kid saying their dad, their dad saying, Hey, we're going to go to here this weekend. And you don't know where they're going. It, 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 it's, I, I was like being a kid again. I was just wide eyed and, anxious and excited i've never been so uh 
I, I remember the last time I had that adrenaline pumping for so long for, for such a enormous amount of time. And uh, that show was, and it was great just going to places like Morocco and Antwerp and that I would never got, have gone before. So it's uh, really opened my eyes up to uh, people in different places. Now, I, I've seen this list, and they have it out there, of everybody who has the record for all these different foods uh, for competitive eaters. Is there anything that you'd be like, no, I'm not doing that? Oh, my God. There's a couple. Uh, like the Rocky Mountain oysters, the bull testicles that are fried. I, I just I wouldn't do it. Uh, what else? I, I told myself I wouldn't eat brain, uh, cow brain, but I ended up eating cow brain tacos one time. And I, now I hold the record. They, they didn't taste bad, but they're, they looked like brains. But uh, what else? What would I not eat? Oh, oysters. I can't do the texture of raw oysters. Wow. How many records do how many how many different records do you hold? I think right about now it's uh I think it's forty one. Uh yeah. So I think the last new record I had was pepperoni rolls in, in West Virginia. These little little bread these little uh, pieces of bread with uh pepperoni baked inside of them that the miners would take down in West Virginia. Uh, now I have the record in that. Uh yeah, that's why I get to go around to awesome places and eat local foods and just have fun. Well, you are the best, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the program. As a fellow Spartan, you know we will be rooting for you uh, on July 4th. And the next time I see you at the office, drinks on me. Oh, thank you so much. I'll, I'll definitely be back there. I hope you enjoy this edition of A's Unfiltered. Burt Blylevin, Rick Dempsey, Travis Blackley, and Joey Chestnut. And we hope you're enjoying A's Cast powered by TuneIn. We'll see you at the ballpark. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.